0: Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. So this morning we are looking at two people from Scripture. The first one is Josiah, an eight-year-old boy, and the second one is the Pharisee, Nicodemus, who describes himself as an old man. Shannon read from Second Chronicles on Josiah, only eight years old when he was crowned king. He had quite a family tree. His great-grandfather, his name was Manasseh, and he, um, he was not following the ways of God at all. Um, and I'm sorry, his great-grandfather did, Manasseh did not, so Josiah's grandfather undid all of that, and the, the nation was taken over by the Assyrians, and Manasseh was taken captive, and it was while he was in captivity that he just cried out to God, and sincerely humbled himself, and he prayed, and he finally realized that God alone is God, and so when he came back, he tried to undo a lot of the idols and a lot of the things that were being worshipped, but we we do read from chapter 33 um, that he only did a partial job on that. So then his son Ammon came to the throne and Ammon just wanted no part of God being God and his, his life was not one to be proud of at all. In fact it was so bad that his own officials assassinated him there in his palace and in behind him comes young Josiah age eight. So the question this morning is what would we expect of an eight-year-old boy coming into a kingship, coming into leadership with that type of a background. Would we expect him to be a chip off the block? The apple wouldn't fall far, much like his father, because his father would have taught him so many things that were not of God. And probably now he's going to be influenced by his father's family and friends. Some might take advantage of him. We might even look at Josiah and think he's probably going to grow up to be a very bitter and an angry man. But we don't know who taught Josiah, but somehow he got hold of the history of one of his ancestors some 360 years earlier, and that was King David. And he looked at that, and he wanted to follow the example of that ancestor way back, King David. Not his grandparents, not his father, but David. David. So he would have had probably the Psalms that David wrote, maybe some of the history of King David, and Josiah would have read that. And he would have read that even though David had done many things wrong, right up to adultery and murder, he had been forgiven by God, and God described him as a man after God's own heart. And young Josiah determined that's who he wanted to be. With our children going back to school this week, some age eight, some older, some younger, who are they going to look to? Who will they determine that they want to be? What are they facing in life as they go back to school? What are they going to learn? They're going to be facing bullying, some of them. They're going to be facing racism in our schools. They're going to hear language we don't want them to be hearing. Some will be hungry. They will rely on the breakfast and the lunch programs our schools have. Some are already caught in the peer pressure as they're out in the malls trying to find new clothes and new backpacks that are going to fit in with the crowd so they won't get laughed at. Others won't be able to afford those things. They will be laughed at. Some will be alone at school without friends. Some will turn to the wrong friends. In all of that, who will they look to? Who will they determine that they want to be? We like to think that they're going to be taught well, good teachers. A biologist, his name is Beno Muller Hill, and he remembers when his teacher set up a telescope and told the students that as they looked through the telescope, they were going to see different planets and moons. And one by one, the students came up and they said, yes, I see that, yes, I see that. Until one young boy came up and he said, I don't see anything. And the teacher said, well, adjust the lens. And he did, no, I don't see anything. And the teacher was getting quite frustrated with him and he went up to the telescope himself and he looked in. And then he stood up with a very strange look on his face. And he reached around and he took the lens cap off the telescope. None of the students have been able to see anything. But just as most of the students said what they were told they should be seeing, many people are going to see the world the way the world says it should see this world. Our children need us to show them Jesus. But we look at it and we say, we're far removed. Things are so different today. There is no Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver with a leave it to beaver anymore. And I'm gonna take a little side trail to say, I don't know that there ever was. Because the more adults I talk to, the more I realize the difficulty of upbringing that many of us as adults have had. But think of the children that we saw here this morning. Think of some of your neighbor's children's. Think of those who are in the malls this week if you're out shopping. Watch the streets as the children are going off to school. Will we care? Will we say a prayer this week? Lord, would you tell me what you want me to do? Would you lead me to even just one child? Or maybe lead lead me to a class, to a group of children? And it may be simply to be there for a child to do nothing more than to listen when that child just needs someone to listen. Hold out hope. When others may be putting a child down, will you be the one that will lift that child up to a new level of your expectation of him or her? Will you give a child a safe place where they can trust? We don't have to preach to them. I almost want to say, please don't preach to them. Just pray to God that God will direct, give you the words. But be the opportunity for that child to be loved and speak to them. We give children here, intentionally, time with us in our worship service before they go out, quite a bit of time, because we want them to see what is modeled in worship. So be careful of what our children hear our criticisms, our negativity. May they see here our worship, our love of God. For those of you who teach and volunteer at Discovery Park and Youth Group and, and teach our children, thank you for that. And I pray that maybe God is even right now touching hearts to do more of that. But I'm gonna go back to Josiah. He followed the example of David. And then he came to age 16. And he began to seek the God his ancestor David. Do you hear the difference in that? He wanted more than the knowledge that David knew a God. He wanted to know God himself. Four years he did that until age 20 and as a king he began to clean house and he got rid of everything in in Judah and Jerusalem that was not of God. And it gets a little bit graphic in scripture and he said, it says, he destroyed and he demolished and he broke down, he smashed, he scattered, he crushed into dust every idol that was in that land. What can we learn this morning from this young man, Josiah? Would we ever be willing to do that here? Would we ever be willing to look at things that we might consider or God considers idols? And we say, but I want that, or I want that back, or I can't lose that. And that's the way we've always done it. And some of those things are very good, but if they have become idols, when well, we say, God, would you destroy them in my heart because they've become idols? Demolish, break them, smash them, scatter them, crush them into dust, if you have to do that. And then Josiah went out to the towns around, and he did the same thing in the whole region. So going back to being mentored and mentoring someone else, being coached, coaching someone else, what else can we learn from this young man, from his journey from age 8 to 20? First of all, he took the time to learn. He studied to learn about God, about David, about great men and women of his past, and then he wanted to know that God himself. And then he started to really make a difference in the lives of others. And he went on to repair the temple. And they found the scripture, actually, that, they had, that had been lost for years. No one had been reading it. The book of the Law of Moses. And when Josiah, when that was brought to Josiah, he just wept bitterly. And he went into the temple and he read those books himself to the people. That's teaching. That's mentoring, that's passing on the good news of what God has for each and every one of us. So thank you, Josiah, for teaching us some scripture. So if we go to the second person, the second passage of scripture, and that man was was, uh, Nicodemus. And so different from young Josiah, Nicodemus, by his own perception at least, and by his own description, he's an old man. He's a Pharisee. He's part of the ruling body called the Sanhedrin. And we don't have to wonder how Nicodemus learned. He had the very best of upbringing. Unlike Josiah, he had a family tree that was without blemish. Would have been taught by the best of the religious leaders. He would have memorized verses and chapters and books and kept all the laws. And he had probably been out there in the crowds listening to Jesus teaching, because there were many Pharisees in the crowds trying to discredit and trip Jesus up. And we don't know what was on Nicodemus' mind as he went to Jesus at night. But he starts out with some acknowledgement, maybe flattery. Jesus, you are obviously a teacher sent from God. And we never get to hear what he's going to ask Jesus, because Jesus just cuts right through it. And he says, if someone even hopes, even hopes to see the kingdom of God, he or she must experience birth a second time. And Nicodemus, this religious teacher who knows all about Scripture and the law, says, I don't know what you mean. And Jesus explains, he says, there's no chance, no chance of making it into God's kingdom if you don't experience water and spirit birth. Even you, Nicodemus, educated and respected among your people, you must be reborn by the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus has to admit again, I don't understand. We almost feel sorry for this man. Jesus says your responsibility is to instruct Israel in matters of faith, and you don't comprehend the necessity of life in the Spirit. If you do not believe when I talk to you about ordinary earthly realities, then heavenly realities will certainly elude you. Question for us this morning, do we comprehend life in the Spirit, or has that eluded us? And then Jesus spoke those beautiful words, John 3, 16 and 17, For this is how much God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The one who taught religion, Nicodemus, now had to humble himself to a place of completely new learning from Jesus. You may be here this morning, and those two verses are not familiar to you, and I hope that you can hear them. John three sixteen and 17. If you don't have a Bible, talk to us. We'll get you one. Come and talk to us about Jesus. God loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn you, but to give you life, life for today and for all eternity. It's the promise of forgiveness and release and mercy being set free because he died for you and he rose again and he's still alive today living eternally and he's at work through the Spirit in you and in us. That's good news not just good news it's the best news you will ever hear for the rest of us so many of us can quote those two verses we don't have to look it up in the Bible but I need to ask this one and I'm going to use the word you I hope you don't mind have you met God? Have you met God really? this God who loves you so much? Have you met Jesus? Who came and died for you? Have you entered the Kingdom of God? Have you found life today? With the assurance of life for all eternity through the work of God's Spirit in your life? You know, many churchgoers say that they have. But what if you asked your family member? What if you asked your neighbor? What if you asked someone you work with or someone you supervise or someone supervised by you? What if you asked other people here in the church? What if you asked Jesus? Is it evident? Is it evident? A series of training cassettes, and yes, I'm using the word cassette, so you know this goes back a little ways. And in that series, they were learning cassettes. I used to listen to them in my car, and it said you have to listen to these cassettes seven times before you actually get everything that they contain. Although they don't explain any more than that, what they mean is, after you've listened to it for seven times, there's an expectation that you will have learned, and you're going to start putting some of that into practice. And they say it takes 21 days to break a habit or 21 days to form a habit. So on day 22 there's an expectation that you will either have stopped doing what you wanted to stop doing or you will have formed a new discipline that you will carry on from day 22 onward. So we learn not just for knowledge but for transformation. How many churchgoers can quote Bible verses but they do so with judgment, even though that Bible that they've learned from says do not judge. How many churchgoers can quote Bible verses, but they have no compassion and love, even though Jesus says love one another as much as I love you. How many churchgoers have a great skill in leading, but then they take power and they won't follow, or they won't work in unity, even though they have been taught encourage and love one another and work in unity together. Instead, contrary to teaching, they try to tell others what to think, what they're supposed to do. How many churchgoers have so much knowledge from coming every Sunday and Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, and those are good things, but so much knowledge that that knowledge has become a wall, a barrier, that the Holy Spirit can't break through anymore. When I came as your transitional pastor, I was led, and I believe I was led by God, to some preaching themes for Sunday mornings, to some activities in transitional work. But then I started to hear from people, well, we have heard those themes. We have done those types of activities. They've been tried. They've been done well. So my hope this morning, for you, for me, for us, my hope, is that the seventh time of listening has happened now. Of course keep coming to church, of course keep going to Bible studies, keep on learning. But my hope is that now we will let what we have learned start to really change us and transform us. Another one of my hopes is that this is day 22. The cycles of behavior will be broken in us individually in this church, that habits and cycles will be broken. And my other hope is that this is day 22 and that habits that need to be formed will start being practiced now. Last week before I went to Oasis, I had a couple of days before I left, and then this week Every day, there's been at least one person, and on some days, two and three people who have asked to come and see me. And I am so excited because they are letting me know that they are ready. Every one of those conversations has been so positive. They're antsy to get moving, to get see God on the move in this place, and they have come and talked to me with support and prayer and words from God that I recognize truth and ideas and creativity and they have come with energy and they've come with passion and I believe this morning that we are ready as a church to move forward can I hear an amen to that I do believe it and I don't have the gift of prophecy but there are two words that are just front and center for me right now for me for all of us as a church here the number one is to repent that means to be sorry and to be ready to turn around To say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it hasn't been right the way it's supposed to be right with you. And I'm sorry I've hurt your heart. And to say that we're sorry to one another, that we've hurt each other. And the second word is humble. You know, we talk so easily about humility. It's a noun, passive. Being a servant leader like Jesus, washing feet like Jesus. Will we be humble? Come before God on our knees, totally surrendering every part of ourselves. I think it's a beautiful word, humble. We've heard the cassette seven times. We've reached day 22, time to be transformed, not in our own power, not by self discipline, but by the power of the Spirit to say that we are sorry to be humble before God and with each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love us just the way we are, but you love us far too much to leave us that way. So I pray, I thank you for the way that you have brought us here this morning the way you have been so faithful in every day of our lives, that we can be here this morning. But God, would you give us a new vision for where you want to take us. And each one of us needs to say, Lord, let it start with me. So humble us, help us to repent. Not easy, but you give us the strength, you give us the leading, you take us by the hand. You have promised that you would guide and lead us. Hold our hands that we would not stumble. We pray that back to you. We claim your promise. We claim your provision. In Jesus' precious name, amen.